week by week. I haven't had much chance just to look over this sermon beforehand. So let me say this. This is a prayer that comes right in the middle of a sermon that Jesus is preaching. And here he is teaching his disciples how to pray. He's warning them about uh, the practice that's going on around them, the practice of hypocrites who try to show off with loud and pious prayers to others. He's talking about others who use their grand eloquence, babbling, trying to impress God, impress others. And what Jesus here is, he's giving us teaching about how to approach God, the priorities that we bring to him in prayer. Uh, We've been looking at this just bit by bit as a church, digging in deep, trying to learn from the teaching of Jesus so that he would enrich and deepen our prayer life. I'm not going to tell you about all the different bits that we've looked at, apart from the very beginning, how we approach God in prayer, because I think it's really important. So often we can think that as we approach God in prayer, it's dependent on our eloquence, the excellence of our conduct, or the emotional highs we bring. But actually we come to God as our Father, and we come to him as our Father because we can come to him in Jesus. That's how we come to God in prayer. Not just the words that he teaches us, but as we are bound to him by faith, we can then know God as our heavenly Father. And So that's the invitation to you as we look at this passage tonight. If you're a believer, if you're here just wanting to find out more about the Christian faith, Here's the invitation that you can come to the creator of all the universe as your heavenly father. And this particular bit that we're going to be looking at together this evening is that bit there in chapter 6, verse 12, which says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We're going to be looking at chapter 18. That's the kind of Um, framework that will help us just to think a little bit more about what Jesus' teaching is on forgiveness. So if you can maybe keep your finger in there, or maybe you've got a spare ticket that you've got in your wallet for a train that you've used already, put it in there just so you can go back and forth. And let me say a prayer as we ask for God's help to understand and apply Jesus' teaching to our own prayer life so that we might know God, our Heavenly Father. So God, our Father, we pray this evening Help us to take Jesus' teaching to heart, to implant his words into our hearts so that as we come to him in prayer, as we come to you in prayer, we might have great confidence, we might have deep joy, and that we might know that you are hearing our prayers. So we pray, Heavenly Father, that not only would the words of my mouth but the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus' most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Um, a few years ago, I was at a, I was at a party uh, one afternoon, and we were all inside, and I could hear all the kids playing outside, and I thought, oh, it might be good just to go outside and check on how they were doing. So I walked outside, and I met a couple of the kids, and I was chatting to them. And then suddenly, next thing I knew, I just heard, thwack. I looked behind me, and there was a little four-year-old, 
and he was laughing. He'd had a big branch and he'd hit me over the back. I looked at him and I said, Chris. And the moment he saw my face and heard the tone of my voice, his face suddenly dropped. He knew that he was in trouble. I sent all the other kids. I said, off you go away. Chris, come here to me. And so I bent down on my knee and I said, Chris, thankfully that didn't hurt me, but you could have caused real damage if you'd hit someone else with that. And he looked at me with those puppy eyes, kind of just little tears trembling up. And he said, I'm sorry, not even fake sorry. I thought, isn't that amazing? Just that four years of age, he'd already worked out that there were different types of sorry, that there were words you could use, there were phrases in which you could trick other people, that you could manipulate them, bring them to your side. And that's what he was able to differentiate. Maybe he was trying to manipulate me even then, I don't know. haven't been able to work that out. I share that because what we see in this prayer tonight... What Jesus is trying to help us to understand here, and this petition, this little section of the prayer is slightly different to the rest. Jesus is doing something a little bit different here to the rest of them in one way. Is he's trying to help us to understand how we can come to God with integrity in our prayers. How we can come to him honestly. Um, the previous prayer was, give us today this da- our daily bread. And so in that previous petition, we come to God asking that he would show us his generosity. And in this prayer, we're asking that he would show us his graciousness towards us. I've got two points for you this evening, for those who like to take notes. They're just based around both those parts. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So that first one there, forgive us our debts. This is probably the most famous prayer in the Bible, in the Christian faith. And many here, maybe not everyone, but many here will have grown up learning this prayer. And you probably have had different words at this point, maybe trespasses or sins. Jesus uses the word here, debts. That's the Uh, closest translation to the original language. But it doesn't really matter. He's talking about the same reality. But debts helps us to understand uh, the gravity of what he is speaking about here. You see, debts conveys to us the idea of being bound or obliged to another person as a result of owing them. Um, Flick forward again with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, and have a look with me at verse 24. So here Jesus is responding to Peter who asks, how many times should you forgive someone? Peter thinks he's great by saying seven times. Jesus says 77 times. And look with me at verse 24. So these servants owe the king. And when he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Um, Now, a talent was the equivalent of 6,000 denarii. 
Now, you might be thinking, that makes no sense to me at all. A denarii was one day's wages. So after you worked in the fields or in the carpenter's workbench, you were given one denarii. That was to cover all your food for the day. It was one day's wages. And so one one talent was worth 6,000 denarii or... 10,000 talents was the equivalent of 60 million days of work. And so here, Jesus is painting, it's meant to be a slightly ridiculous picture. That this servant owes 60 million days of work to this king. Now, so often when we think of forgiveness, we mistake it with excusing. There is a difference between forgiving and excusing. You see, excusing means that when someone has done something wrong to you or hurt you or something, you try to find a reason why they do it and excuse them, a reason to let them off. So for example, someone knocks into you and you fall over and hurt yourself. But then you find out that they themselves have been tripped over and fell into you. And then you say, you are absolved of any guilt. You're absolved of any wrongdoing. You are excused. And so often when we think of forgiving, we think of it as trying to find something in someone that gives us legitimate grounds to forgive them. But that means excusing them. Um, C.S. Lewis puts it like this. Forgiving is Christian love, but excusing someone, that's just fairness. That's being fair to someone else. But you see, here's the issue. This is the picture that's presented to us over and over again as we look through the Bible, as the Word of God confronts us. But particularly the way that um, Romans chapter 1 puts it, is that all of us, as we stand before the blazing holiness of God, as we stand before His perfect righteousness, We all stand before him with no excuse. Our sin, our wrongdoing, our evil has no excuse. And so this is where we stand. We stand as those who are in desperate need of forgiveness. And the word for forgiveness there in 6 verse 12, it could be translated as passed over or pardoned, but literally it means to leave behind. It means to be um, lifted up, taken away, and forgotten, no longer attached to you. Um, This morning I preached this at Grace Church Montrose, and a gentleman came up to me afterwards, and he said to me, um, he comes from the uh, village of Ferry Den, just outside Montrose, an old fishing village. And he said, the way that their old minister used to describe it to them, to help them to understand this, is like this. It's like God taking our sin and throwing it into the deep sea. And then putting a flag where it is thrown and says, no fishing here. You see, the picture is, where the sin goes, it is left and it is never accounted to us anymore. Have a look with me again at Matthew 18, and have a look at verse 27. 
So we see here there's no way that this man could pay this back. He's got six million days to make it up. He says to his king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. There's no way he can do that. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him that debt. Here we get a picture of what true forgiveness is. True forgiveness means the person who has been wronged, when they truly forgive, they absorb the cost on themselves. You see, what we see here is this man has owed much, and the king says, that is wiped clean, and I will take the burden on me. I take away what is, what is belonging to you, and I absorb the cost. Um, Otto van Habsburg was the last crown prince of Austria-Hungary. He died in 2011. Uh, And for his funeral, um, after the service, they took a procession through the town, through the city, to the tomb where he was to be buried at the catacombs. And when they arrived at the tomb the leader of the procession knocked on the door. And inside, a friar said this, who desires admission? So the leader of this procession, the leader of the funeral party said, Otto of Austria, former crown prince of Austria-Hungary, prince royal of Hungary, Croatia and Bohemia, of Dalmatia, Croatia, Slavonia, Galicia, Ladomeria and Illyria, Grand Duke of Tuscany and Krakow, Duke of Lorraine, Salzburg, Styria, Carinthia, Carniola and Bukovina, Grand Prince of Transylvania, Margrave of Moravia, Duke of Upper and Lower Silesia, Modena, Parma, Piacenza, Guastalla, of Oswicium and Zator, of Teschen, Friol, Dubrovnik and Zaidar, and it goes on for a few more lines after that. And when it was finished, the friar inside the door said, we do not know him. Again, the leader of the funeral party knocked on the door. The friar once more said, who desires admission? The leader said, Dr. Otto van Habsburg, president and honorary president of the Pan-European Union, member and father of the House of the European Parliament, holder of honorary doctorates from countless universities and freemen of many communities in Central Europe, member of numerous noble academies and institutes, bearer of high and highest awards, decorations and honours of church and state made to him in recognition of his decade-long struggle for the freedom of peoples, for right and justice." And the friar said again, we do not know him. One more time, the leader of the funeral party knocked. Once more, the friar said, who desires admission? And the leader said, Otto, a mortal sinful man. Let him be admitted. You see, this is the way that we come to God when we ask for forgiveness. We don't come showing off our pedigree. We don't come showing off our performance. Our ethnicity, our ethics means nothing. You see, we come to God empty, looking to him for fullness. 
We come to him knowing that we can do nothing to earn forgiveness, but looking to him solely for his grace. And this prayer that we're looking at, the previous one was, give us this day our daily bread. It is a regular, ongoing prayer. And I think this prayer for forgiveness is also a daily, ongoing, regular prayer. For you see, while if you are in Christ, if you have put your trust in Jesus for your salvation, you are justified. You stand forgiven in the sight of God. Sin is still a reality in our lives. And Jesus is giving us the words. He's helping us to understand that we ongoingly pray for forgiveness from our Heavenly Father. This is a reality we see throughout the New Testament, and it's worth thinking about just one other place that speaks about this. You can check this out later and make sure that what I'm saying is the Word of God. But in uh, 1 John, uh, John, who was one of the leaders of the early church, one of the followers of Jesus, he says this in 1 John chapter 1, if we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, here's the good news. When we come to God, when we plead his promises before the Father, he receives us and forgives us all our sins. Because you see, in the gospel, at the cross of Jesus Christ, the justice and the mercy of God join together. We see them married together in the cross, in what Jesus did there. You see, remember what we said, that forgiveness, the, the word there means to be lifted up, lifted up and left behind. And you see, what happens in the gospel when we believe in Jesus is our sin is lifted up, of, up from us and is placed on Jesus. God no longer identifies us with our sin, but the punishment, the wrath of God is absorbed in Jesus on the cross. It is left on the cross and buried in the grave. This is the good news and this is what gives us certainty as we approach God saying, forgive us our debts. We don't come quivering, we don't come anxious, but we come knowing as we think about what Jesus has done for us, that our sin is dealt with. It has been forgiven. It has been left deep in the ocean of God's eternal forgetfulness. We are forgiven. And here's the invitation to you tonight. Here's the invitation that Jesus is holding out to us. Maybe this is your very first time and here is your chance to take Jesus' words as your own. This is an opportunity, an invitation for you if you've been weighed down with your sin To say with confidence, forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our sins. And to inverse a quote from C.S. Lewis, God has forgiven the inexcusable in you, therefore, to be his follower, you must forgive the inexcusable in others. 
or I'll put it his way, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And this is what Jesus is dealing with in the second part of this prayer. And I think it's really important for us as we come to this, as we see our second point, as we forgive our debtors. I'm going to expose a little bit my um, own nerdy tendencies. Uh, a few weeks ago, after uh, our evening home group on a Thursday night, I rushed home so I could join in an online lecture on the Spanish Reformation. That's right, I tucked myself up into bed next to my pregnant wife. I asked her how she was doing. She said, fine, put in my earphones, blocked her out. And I learned about what was going on in Spain in the 16th century. Maybe not my proudest moment. But one thing that really piqued my interest was they talked about this thing called a San Benito. Does, has anyone ever heard of that before? Maybe any Spanish speakers might have an idea of what this is. What was happening in the 16th century and the reason that the Spanish Reformation was quelched was the Spanish Inquisition. The Inquisition was something run by the Roman Catholic Church to root out heresy within its members. And when someone was found guilty by this Inquisition, what they had to do was that they had to wear a garment of clothing called a San Benito. It was kind of like a tunic, went over your head, made of really uncomfortable material. And so it was given to those who were found guilty. Those who were found guilty and refused to repent, they had to wear this garment, and on it were flames and devils. They were quite a literal people. And here was a picture of what was coming for you. But even those who recanted, repented, they still had to wear this San Benito. They still had to wear it. And on it was written the sin that you were guilty of. And you had to wear this for an extended period of time. Even some had to wear it all the way to their death whenever they were out in public. And so this was the church. The church which was meant to proclaim the extravagant, inexhaustible, scandalous grace of God. And here, all those who even said sorry were still to be defined by their sin. It was something that brought great shame to them. Why do I talk about this? I think, sadly, within our churches, too often people who have sinned and said sorry, too often we still define them by their sin. We don't make them wear something, but everyone knows who they are And this is what Jesus wants to deal with here. He's calling on his people to forgive because in Christ God has forgiven them. And that compels us to forgive others. Now, what I want to say, and we're going to deal with with some things here, but this is going to bring up lots of ethical dilemmas and conundrums. There'll be questions that you have. Uh, I'm reading a book with a few others on forgiveness and over 300 pages, it doesn't cover 
every area of this issue and forgiveness. And we're not going to hit everything here in half an hour tonight. So if you've got more questions, please do come and speak to me afterwards. I know Andy and the elders would love to chat with you about this. But we also don't want to soften what Jesus says. Have a look with me at chapter 6, verses 14 to 15. This is the only part of the prayer that Jesus expands upon after he has taught it. In verses 14 to 15, he says this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness is hard. And I think it's even harder when we don't know exactly what forgiveness is. Uh, this book that I'm telling you I've been reading, it's a book called Forgive by Tim Keller. Uh, it's very help- He gives his understanding of what forgiveness is and his definition. He says there's kind of three key parts, three key elements, and I'll tell you what they are. First, in forgiveness, we must acknowledge the wrong. We must acknowledge the sin that has caused us harm. Secondly, internally, we forgive. We leave behind the sin. We give it up to God, and we no longer see the person and define them by their sin. And third, we offer the opportunity for reconciliation. I'll come back to that one in reconciliation because I think there's an important thing I want to say about that. But those are the three parts. Acknowledge the sin. Acknowledge the wrong. Internally forgive. Internally let the sin go. And offer reconciliation. But I think one thing, he says this often throughout, so it's the kind of overarching thing. But one thing I'd really want to add into that is first, is that we look back to God's forgiveness for us in Christ. You see, that is the source, that is the pattern, and that is what empowers us to be able to forgive others because forgiveness is hard. Have a look with me back at Matthew chapter 18 again at that parable. So the servant has been forgiven. And then some of those who are under him, some of his other servants, they owe him. Remember now that he is owed six, he's been owed, he owed 60 million days of work. Now we come to his servants who owe him 100 days of work. And he refuses to forgive them. Have a look at verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Remember, that's the same words he used with the king, with his master. And he loses the chance. He fails. Verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place place. And there's a lady called um, Fontaine Selway. She's a, a women's worker in a church uh, down in Edinburgh. Um, she shares her story of how she grew up in a scheme, a council estate in Coventry. 
Um, her home, her life was chaotic. Her mum had chronic mental health problems. Her dad was an alcoholic. She was abused as a child. Alcohol and drugs became a key part of her life as a young teen. She was groomed by a gang. She dabbled in the occult. Through various things in her life, she ended up north of Inverness. You might think, how could life get worse? But there, she ended up in a church. And she heard the wonderful good news that regardless of her background, regardless of what she had done, there was extravagance, abounding grace, that God pours out his love and welcomes in the least, the last, and the lost. And she was wonderfully converted. Over the next few years, she started to be, to be mentored by an older Christian woman. And this older Christian woman noticed that there was this bitterness that was present in the way that she talked, in her prayers, in the way that she read the Bible. And so what she did was, as an older lady, brought her to some of these passages that we've been looking and other parts of the Bible, showing how forgiveness was meant to be a key part. And this young lady, Fontaine Selway, she said, what she'd realized is that she really struggled to forgive due to this victim mentality that she had taken on. That she had a right to be angry with the world. That she had a right because of all the pain, all the hurt she'd gone through. And yes, what had happened to her was wrong. But what she saw and was reminded of was that God had a greater case to reject her, to be angry with her. And yet he had shown forgiveness and grace. And this is what he calls us as his people to. You see, what she'd realized is it was harming her relationship with God. And it was harming her relationship with fellow Christians and with other image bearers. You see, when we fail to forgive... We fail to step into the full reality of our own forgiveness. We fail to press into the responsibilities of the new relationship we have with our Heavenly Father that He won for us through the cross and the death of His Son. Our heart that refuses to forgive, refuses to forgive is a heart that has not been transformed by the grace of God. And I was careful when I said refuses. I'm not talking about a heart that struggles. I'm not talking about a heart that is battling. But a heart that refuses, that withholds mercy and grace towards others. Jesus is saying is a heart that hasn't grasped the magnitude of God's mercy to us in Christ. Um, if you've ever been to uh, another, uh, other types of churches, sometimes they have something that's called the passing of peace. It's where you stand up and you shake hands with different members of the congregation and you say, peace be with you. Some churches, maybe a bit more enthusiastic, will give you a hug. In the past, it was the holy kiss. 
I was reading uh, over the last couple of weeks, and I found out that that originally happened immediately after the prayer of confession. You see, they were meant to be joined together because they recognized what was joined together in the way that God's forgiveness for us and our forgiveness for others works. You see, after asking God for forgiveness for our sins, knowing that we are now reconciled to him, this prayer of peace was meant to say that we are reconciled to one another. It was meant to be a picture and practice of this reality. It's what Paul talked about in Colossians chapter 3. You can, again, just jot it down, check it out later. Colossians chapter 3, Paul says this, verse 13, that the church is called to bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive You see, this is the pattern. God has forgiven us, and we are called to forgive. But let me say this. Remember what we said earlier on. Forgiveness means acknowledging wrongs, acknowledging sin. It means forgiving in the heart, letting go of sin, and seeking reconciliation. I want to say this, and I think this is where some mistakes are made where we mix up reconciliation and restoration. I think often in the past, the church has called people, when you forgive, to be restored back into a relationship as it was. And sadly, so many people have been forced back by guilt into abusive relationships. And I don't think that is what this is talking about here. Where we step back into places that are dangerous for us. You see, what grace does is it doesn't bring us back to where we were, but it begins everything anew. So reconciliation happens when the other person receives your forgiveness with repentance with a new life shaped by grace and righteousness. But as we end, I want to say this, and I'm going to use, as a guy called Mes McConnell, pastor of a church in Edinburgh. Um, He wrote what was both a beautiful and a harrowing book called The Creaky on the Stairs. And during his childhood, um, he suffered great abuse at the hands of his stepmother. And he says when people come to him asking him about how to forgive, he says he knows what the right pastoral answer is meant to be. But he also knows in his own experience battling with this, is the first thing he says, it is hard. Forgiveness isn't quick. And so he and another guy in this book say this, and I think this is really helpful where we finish tonight, is that forgiveness is a supernatural act. 
Because you see, I think in our own power, we just don't have the ability to do this. When we feel empty, when we've been wounded, there's no way to do this. But you see, we remember first that we are the recipients of divine forgiveness from our heavenly Father. But he doesn't just leave us to do this by himself. In his grace and in his kindness, he has given us his spirit who indwells us as his people. And so for those who are struggling, for those who know they've got no fuel in the tank, for those who are battling to understand what this looks like or how this is even possible for them, we pray for the power of God's spirit. We pray for an outpouring of his grace to help us to forgive, to help us to let go, to no longer be marked by bitterness and pain, to find healing in the gospel, to find a home with our Heavenly Father, to find love with Jesus, and to find power from the Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same Spirit that can empower us to do this. It was wonderful this morning, after preaching this, to hear from a few older saints who were able to say there were great wrongs done to them and they never thought how they could forgive. Yet they shared the stories of grace of how God gave them just what they needed over time with great struggle but just what they needed to forgive. And so what we do as we pray this is also a chance to pray Please, Heavenly Spirit, our Holy Spirit, just give me enough grace to forgive as I have been forgiven. Because we have been forgiven. And this is the greatest thing that we can offer the world. I think the appropriate way for us to close then is for us to take these words as our own prayer. If you've got a Bible in front of you, maybe those who are in the back, if they could find it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. And invite you, if you want to take these words as your own, to say this prayer with me. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. And so we'll pray together. You can either look at the screen or look down at this. If you know the words in the old language, please use that yourself. Would you join with me as we pray together? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. We're going to close together as we remember the enormity of what God has done for us in Christ. The great grace that he has given us 
as we sing of our beautiful Savior, Jesus, who took our sin upon himself on the cross, died for us so that we might be reconciled to our Heavenly Father. So let me invite you to celebrate that grace and praise our Savior as we sing our final song this evening. All my days I will sing this song of gladness. Give my praise to the fountain of delights.